More than 100 years ago, City Club hosted its first debate. While much has changed since then, City Club continues to be an independent and nonpartisan community committed to providing a space for people to gather and participate in lively conversations about the critical issues confronting our region. Since our founding, City Club has been a champion for this kind of civic engagement, to champion creativity over partisanship and the common good over narrow self-interests, while holding space for new voices to be heard. We are building and stewarding an open and inclusive public square where all Oregonians are welcome for the exchange of ideas, discussion, and debate about the issues that matter most in our communities and at the ballot box. Today, City Club's hosting a debate between two of the three candidates running to become Multnomah County's next sheriff. This is likely, in at least one way, to be an historic election. In Oregon, we've seen significant increases in reflective democracy, elections that result in leaders who reflect the demographics and experiences of the communities they serve. And this race may be the next example. Until now, the role of Multnomah County Sheriff has been held by a white man. Following this election, the role of sheriff may be held by a woman or a black man. This would be historic, not just for Multnomah County, but nationally. Sheriff demographics are gravely unbalanced, while African-Americans are confined to jail at over three times the rate of white Americans, only 5% of all sheriffs are African-American. And even as the number of women in jail trends higher, fewer than 3% of all sheriffs in the United States are women. Before we get started, I want to recognize and thank the producer of today's debate. Bobby Regan, I do not know what we would do without you. Thank you and the entire events committee for working so hard to make this event possible. City Club has been sustained over all these years to the generous support of our members, individual donors, foundations, nonprofits, and businesses, large and small. Today, we're grateful for the collective support from all our members and donors. And in particular, I want to thank our debate series sponsors, Chevron, The Standard, Northwest Natural, Tonkin Torp, the Oregon Business and Industry Association, and the Oregon Association of Hospitals and Health Systems. I would also like to thank our partners at X-Ray FM for sharing this program with those who will be listening on the radio and podcast later. If City Club's work aligns with your values, I hope you'll support us as we continue to produce forums and debates, lead public policy research, and advocate for positive change. Here are two ways that you can support the work of City Club today. You can start by becoming a City Club member. For more than 100 years, our members and supporters have helped City Club hold Oregon's leaders accountable. You can learn more about membership online at pdx cityclub.org slash membership. You can also support City Club's work by making a donation today. Our events, which are free to all and are made possible by individual donors like you. Please consider making a gift to help us continue to provide thought-provoking debates and conversations. You can donate now by texting DEMOCRACYPDX to 44-321. That is Democracy PDX, 
all one word, to 44321. Or you can give via our website, pdxcityclub.org slash donate. Whether you become a member, make a gift, share the link with a friend, or just watch today's debate, all of us at City Club, thank you for participating and helping to bring the public square live to your homes. It is now my pleasure to welcome Bernie Bottomley, moderator for today's debate. Bernie Bottomley retired from TriMet in early 2021, where he served as Executive Director of Public Affairs. Bernie initiated TriMet's first independent external review of fair enforcement outcomes, leading to successful efforts to decriminalize fair violations. Prior to TriMet, Bernie served as Vice President of Government Affairs and Economic Development for the Portland Business Alliance. At PBA, he participated in the Multnomah County Corrections post-facto study to, to determine appropriate staffing levels at the county's detention facilities. Bernie, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much, Caitlin, uh, and welcome to uh, City Club's Multnomah County Sheriff's Debate, featuring candidates Nicole Morrissey O'Donnell and Derek Peterson. Each candidate has worked in the Sheriff's Department for 20 or more years. Before we begin, I want to provide some background on the work of the Sheriff's Department as context for our listeners and viewers. The Multnomah County Sheriff's Department provides public safety services for the communities of Dunthorpe, Sovie Island, Corbett, Fairview, Maywood Park, Troutdale, and Wood Village, and for the unincorporated areas of Multnomah County, including the Columbia River Gorge. The Sheriff patrols 110 miles of county waterways and provides search and rescue, special investigations, hazardous materials response, regional task force collaboration, and dive search and rescue recovery operations. The patrol function responds to approximately 30,000 calls for service annually. And this past year, the department also assumed management responsibility for the TriMet Police Division. The sheriff is also responsible for the Correction Services and Facilities Division, overseeing the operations of the Multnomah County Detention Center downtown and Inverness Jail. Uh, all told, a little over a thousand budgeted jail beds, as well as all corrections programs administered inside the jails. And just for context, jails support short-term detention, not long-term sentences. That's the responsibility of the state prison system. The 800 employee Sheriff's Department has an annual budget of just over $170 million. About two thirds of that goes into the corrections and correction services uh, part of the division. 19% goes to the patrol function and the remainder to executive and support functions. Uh, with that background, uh, we have about 90 minutes for this debate and I know you are eager to hear from the candidates. So let me outline the ground rules and then we'll begin. Each candidate will have two minutes for an opening statement. Once the statements are concluded, we'll move into a set of questions that I will ask uh, and that includes a lightning round for quick uh, response answers. Once the moderated questions have concluded, uh, the candidates will each ask uh, one question of their opponent. From there, from there, we'll move on to audience questions, City Club solicited questions in advance from members and the community and all viewers who registered for the City Club link were given the opportunity to ask a question and I've chosen uh, a selection of those questions. 
One interesting trademark of this debate uh, is what we're calling a free speech pass. If a candidate would like to rebut a point made by their opponent, extend their own answer time or clarify a response, the candidate simply needs, it, needs to raise the free speech pass and each candidate will then get an additional 30 seconds. Finally, we'll close the debate with two minute statements from each of the candidates. My intention as moderator is to distribute questions and time equally. However, I reserve the right to ask for clarification should it be appropriate and help the discussion. We flipped a coin uh, before uh, we went on the air to determine who would open the remarks first and Nicole uh, won the coin toss. Nicole, you have two minutes. Great, thank you very much. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to be here today. So I'm Nicole Morrissey O'Donnell and I'm a native Oregonian. I moved to Portland to attend University of Portland. And if someone would have told me that uh, 25 years later, I'd be running for Multnomah County Sheriff uh, as I started at University of Portland as a music major, I would have never believed you. Uh, but when I share this story with you, it all makes sense. Uh, at an early age, my family was rocked by gun violence. My father was shot in the chest by someone who was coming in to rob one of his small businesses. Thankfully, he survived, but that's where I learned how quickly our sense of safety and security could be ripped away in moments. And overwhelmingly, that's what people tell me, that they don't feel safe in our community today. And I'm running to change that. I've been with the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office for just over 25 years. I currently serve as the undersheriff, that's second in command of the organization. And in 2019, I became the interim de designee to uh, Sheriff Mike Reese to step in if the sheriff could not fulfill his term. And what sets me apart in this and makes uh, me a unique candidate, I believe, is that I've already earned a police certificate that's a requirement within the first year of taking office. And that's a very intensive training that's partly four months at the training center in Salem and then an additional three months uh, taking 911 calls with a trainer at your own, own agency. So not only do I have the law enforcement experience, I also started my career in corrections and I have 16 years of experience in the corrections division. I've led the organization at the highest levels in all areas, and I would be the first female sheriff and the first sheriff to hold dual certification. We are facing very serious challenges in our community, unprecedented gun violence, record numbers of people living on our streets, and an alarming increase in traffic fatalities. In this time of crisis, we need leaders that have the experience, training, and connection to community to deliver results. And I have a proven track record to tackle these issues head on and lead the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office on day one. Thank you, Nicole. Uh, Derek, uh, over to you. You have uh, two minutes for your opening statement. Thank you, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to address you to hopefully have uh, our folks out in the audience get a chance to know me better. Uh, Derek Peterson, born and raised in North Portland. I went to Holy Redeemer Central Catholic High School and ended up uh, getting my degree in administration of justice at Portland State University. You know, I got into this business because uh, of a practicum I ended up taking uh, at Washington County Probation and Parole by the uh, by this lady by the name of Maura Goodman really solidified my passion for people and at their worst moments in time. So that's why I'm in the in the in the profession. Um, I'm deeply disturbed by the issues that are going on in our county. Uh, was just at a a little bit of a movement of 
professionals and 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 uh, people in our community that were asking the mayor to to, to declare a state of emergency uh, with the firearms issue that's going on. I'm seeing way too many of our black men being killed in the streets. I have a, a son who uh, is black, and I I fear for his life uh, on a daily basis. I have amassed an array of qualifications. I'm trusted by the community. I'm trusted by our staff. I'm known as a person that is a galvanizer. I've been a leader, not only on the local level, but also on the state level, as I've been a, a, a diversity instructor, uh, well-known for that, that uh, uh, for my ability to instruct. Um, also, I have also uh, been the National Organization of Black Law, Law Enforcement Executives uh, president. So I bring a load of qualifications. I want to be the next sheriff. I want to be able to make an impact on the, the issues that we're dealing with on a daily basis. And I believe that uh, the people in the community that I uh, serve and, and know about uh, will want me to be the next sheriff. Thank you. Thank you both for the opening statements. Uh, now we're gonna to move to the moderated questions. Uh, I've talked over the past couple of weeks with many community members, members familiar with the work of the Sheriff's Department and have developed a series of questions related to law enforcement and corrections. You'll have 90 seconds to respond to each question. At 90 seconds, please, please complete your sentence. You've already seen our timer, so uh, Appreciate you uh, sticking to the to the time limits. Uh, to get uh, started uh, in the spirit of the debate, um, I want to try a couple of lightning round questions. Uh, we'll just practice, okay, with these. So, Nicole, dogs or cats? Dogs. Okay. Derek. Dogs. No dogs. Okay. Beer or wine, Derek? Beer. Nicole? Wine. Okay. And Nicole, burgers or pizza? Burgers. Derek? Oh. <laughs> okay, good. Well, now that we're warmed up, uh, we'll move to the real questions. Since Nicole went first in the opening remarks, Derek, you'll have the first question. Question number one. The Portland area is experiencing an explosion of gun violence with record numbers of murders and gun crimes. There are currently more than 90 individuals in Multnomah County jails on murder charges, where in the past there have never been more than about an average of about 60. What do you think is causing this crisis and what will you do as sheriff to help address it? Yes, yeah, so it is out of hand and um, it's a, it's a complex situation. You've, we're coming out of a, a three years of people being kind of locked in their houses and frustrations boiling over lack of an ability for people to process and really, uh, be able to deal with these issues that, that come up for when, when they get angry, where we have an influx of crime, we have an influx of people, uh, taking drugs and overdoses, and this is the the process that we have seen happen and displayed because of some of these issues. Um, really need to get back to basics. I, I this is a community issue. This is a system wide issue. It's not just a sheriff's office uh, uh, issue to that extent. And I want to make sure that we are listening to our our 
community, getting together with community leaders, community organizations, and coming to a point where we understand what they want and need, and then continue to look at uh, better ways to provide our services across the board, whether it's linked with our dis district attorney's office, our courts, our uh, criminal, other criminal justice partners. And it's extremely important that we are inclusive and not exclusive at this time in, in, our, in our history. Thank you, Derek. Nicole? And if you'd like, I can repeat the question. Would you mind, please? No problem. <laughs> So number one, uh, the Portland area is experiencing an explosion of gun violence with record numbers of murders and gun crimes. There are currently more than 90 individuals in Multnomah County jails on murder charges, where in the past there has never been more than an average of about 60. What do you think is causing this and what, do you, what will you do as sheriff to help address this crisis? Absolutely. So as we all recognize, gun violence is at an all-time high. And this is something that keeps me up at night. Um, when I look at what are our causes, uh, you know, we just came through uh, two and a half, three years of a pandemic. So people were isolated and they didn't have those pro-social activities that would keep uh, people on a positive path, especially our youth not being in school. Uh, and the lack of maybe being able to uh, meet their socioeconomic needs. So I'm seeing that uh, it's a, a, a more global issue across all of our systems, uh, including uh, education early on, public health, and really working uh, with our families. So this is the work that I do every day. Uh, we have to engage with our communities and our neighborhoods, uh, neighborhood associations to really hear what's happening in each and every one of our communities. I have added additional investigative resources because I would, there, there needs to be accountability for those harming our community and uh, responsible for those that are creating violence in our community. And I've added uh, additional resources to our civil unit uh, to serve protection orders uh, where there's a court order where people are required to relinquish their firearms and examples like domestic violence. So I am dedicated to this work each and every day. And under my command, MCSO had the largest seizure of illegal guns in the history of the organization. Uh, so uh, I want to use strategies of prevention, intervention, and collaboration across all of our system partners and engaging with our community uh, as much as we can to really learn how we can help solve this problem collaboratively. Okay, Nicole, uh, this next question, we will start with you. Homelessness and the resulting spread of camping and related issues of sanitation, untreated mental health conditions, drug addiction, and crime have reached crisis levels in the region. What do you see as the sheriff's role in addressing this issue? And how will you support efforts to contribute to solving this crisis? Absolutely, uh, thank you for that question. Um, so I'm deeply concerned about what's going on in our, in our community. Uh, we have to act with urgency. We know that Oregon is number two in need for mental health and addiction services, and we're nearly last in uh, being able to access those services. So this only makes the problem even worse. And when systems break down, there is uh, things that fall on law enforcement. We've stepped in in a trauma-informed way at Multnomah County Sheriff's Office, and we're training our members to respond in this way across the board. Under my leadership, I reinvested in our homeless outreach and programs engagement team, and I've give them, given them direction and led their efforts throughout the last few years. 
services in East County are particularly challenging, uh, mental health and addiction and housing services. So that is why we uh, made the choice and I made the choice to really put those resources to task. Uh, investing in uh, outreach first approach, connecting people with services and resources and learning about them and building that trust so people trust that we can help you. Uh, we have uh, many success stories. A couple have been highlighted in the media recently. And I've also reached out to different uh, community groups and service providers, Hacienda CDC being one of them to be more proactive about if we're learning that a family might uh, become homeless. Uh, so connecting with community providers that help us uh, help people find safe housing is critical. As sheriff, I'll do everything I can to find safe housing opportunities and ensure that we're looking at a uh, uh, putting people first on a positive, positive path forward. <laughs> Thanks, Nicole. Uh, Derek, you want me to read that again? Yes, please. Okay. Homelessness and the resulting spread of camping and related issues of sanitation, untreated mental health conditions, drug addiction, and crime have reached crisis levels in the region. What do you see as the sheriff's role in addressing this issue, and how will you support efforts to contribute to solving this crisis? Thank you. Uh, yes, very uh, troubling issue that we have on hand. And the first thing is that we need to look at our housing situation and what that what that may look like. And I'm a firm advocate that the beds are out there are are scarce. And we have some jails at Inverness, uh, some beds at Inverness Jail that may be able to be used to break some of that cycle of the homelessness and those who are having mental health uh, issues to use those beds because uh, there's almost 300 beds that are not being used right now. We can bring wraparound services to those uh, folks at that particular time, get them ready, uh, get them cleaned up and uh, get them to a point where we get them out to the community and, and services out there in more permanent housing. I think the sheriff's office needs to be outward facing in this situation because we run across people on a daily basis to that are having these issues and uh, really figure out ways to identify. We we actually know the, the folks out there that are, that are having the issues because of our uh, homeless uh, homeless team. I want to put more resources in these kind of uh, situations and teams that are doing such a fantastic job. So the sheriff's office needs to be proactive, not reactive in these situations and be a part of cheerleading this particular situation as, as far as coming up with solutions and dealing with it with the community. Thank you, Derek. Um, this next question uh, you'll uh, field first. Uh, what role do you believe drugs, particularly highly addictive substances such as methamphetamines and fentanyl, play in the rise of homelessness and violent crime? What will you as sheriff do to address this aspect of the challenge facing our community? Yes, uh, this is di uh, direct correlation, I believe, with, with uh, the homeless situation. And we know that methamphetamine um, drug addiction has gone uh, spiraled out of control, especially during this pandemic. And it's important that the sheriff's office be a leader in this, this uh, critical time and in, in the situations that are happening uh, in our city, in our county, and leading and advocating for more programs, um, being 
proactive in bringing services to the, the people that we know are having the issues of, of uh, addiction. And if we don't do that, we're in, we're in a, a, a dire strait. It's going to, it's not going to be good for our future. So Sheriff's Austin needs to lead that, that bandwagon. They lead the way in that, continue to meet with community, community partners, actually look at what the funding is out there and identify who's doing the, the work out, out there in a way that is uh, advantageous. Uh, we know that there's money that is being wasted to that extent. We need to identify that and then identify those organizations that are doing the work and continue to support that and actually duplicate those services. Thank you, Derek. Um, Nicole, would you like me to repeat the, the question? Yes, please. Okay. What role do you believe drugs, particularly highly addictive substances such as methamphetamines and fentanyl play in the rise of homelessness and violent crime? What will you as sheriff do to address this aspect of the challenge facing our community? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> we uh, recognize that overdose deaths have increased significantly. And again, being second in need and nearly last in services shows that we have to do additional work to ensure that our community has the services and resources, mental health and addiction, that are required at this time in the history. Because what we're seeing is uh, when um, people are uh, in our facilities, uh, when they become justice involved, that may be an opportunity for us to make an impact. Uh, that could be the most challenging day of their lives or the most pivotal. And so, you know, I would like to provide education and services and resources as much as we can on a community-based level and partner with all of our community-based services. Uh, some of that work uh, we're doing with the grant that we received uh, for a clinician paired with our HOPE team, as well as with our pretrial supervision uh, release program team. So we want to continue to be innovative in that. But what I also see is that there are areas that we can build in our facilities to ensure that we have the necessary resources and that people are housed in, a, in areas where there could be a more person-centered approach. Uh, expanding our mental health team in our jail facilities. So we're covering both um, the Inverness Jail and uh, the Justice Center and really looking at how we can partner with our uh, counselors, with public health and with our community-based providers to provide those services externally uh, with our law enforcement partners and internally with our corrections division. Thank you, Nicole. Uh, so you'll go first on this next question. Uh, a recent independent report on racial and ethnic disparities in criminal justice in Multnomah County found that black people are eight times more likely to be in jail pre-trial pre than whites and Latinos are twice as likely. In addition, black and Latino people stay in jail longer pre-trial than whites charged with similar crimes. What approaches will you pursue as sheriff to address this disparity in pre-trial treatment of detainees? One of the areas when you look at uh, this being a system-wide issue and knowing that first recognizing that uh, it is our job to uh, meet with community and build those community relationships and start learning and, and um, investing in data collection so we can learn what the biggest challenges are. I think if you're looking at um, 
making sure that we are connecting with community and we're utilizing our resources such as our public health resources and really getting in and, and providing education and reinvesting and rebuilding in our communities and uplifting communities uh, that may not have access to uh, resources that other communities might have. Uh, making sure that we are partnering with groups like Word is Bond. When I participated on a walking tour, uh, some of the challenges that were talked about were about communities not being invested in and, and our youth not feeling like they mattered. So uh, making sure that we're building those community relationships, but also making sure that we are held uh, accountable and we are transparent in our systems. Uh, within law enforcement and within the court system, uh, the justice system as a whole. Uh, we're working with our equity and inclusion manager right now to really engage differently uh, with community partners and be, uh, be a listener and try to understand the issues within our, within our uh, communities. So there are many efforts that I have supported um, to look at different areas where we can make those positive changes. And it really does come down to the entire system working with our community. Thanks, Nicole. Uh, Dirk, would you like me to repeat that question? Yes. yes. Okay. Uh, a recent independent report on racial and ethnic disparities in criminal justice in Multnomah County found that black people are eight times more likely to be in jail pre-trial than whites and Latinos are twice as likely. In addition, Black and Latino people stay in jail longer than pre, uh, stay in jail longer pretrial than whites charged with similar crimes. What approaches will you uh, pursue as sheriff to address the disparities in pretrial treatment of detainees? That's uh, sad statistics, and uh, it's at the forefront of my mind to deal with. I think we need to invest, uh, be, be outward facing in. Um, going to the community, not just sitting back and letting the community come to us. Uh, we need to be more interactive with such organizations as the Interfaith Peace and Action Collaborative, Portland uh, Police to Peace, The Table, The Rotary. There's several organizations out there that are pivotal in understanding and knowing what's going on in our communities. And uh, statistics are, are fantastic, but we know that there's major issues with our law enforcement, with our uh, criminal justice uh, system. And, and at this point in time, we, it's broken and there needs to be uh, an urgency on how we attack this. And it can't be done from a funnel of just law enforcement perspective. It has to be community orientated with all the organizations that, that can come aboard to make sure that we are treating all our people of color uh, with respect and making sure that they are getting the same opportunities uh, that other people are getting and, and making sure that they are uh, in a situation where they're not being put in jail at a moment's notice and, and being held over for longer than they should, just getting the, those opportunities. So I'm hopeful to be a part of that. Okay, thank you both. I'm gonna take the moderator's prerogative here. Uh, Derek, you said something that is pretty provocative. You said the criminal justice system is broken. Can you just elaborate on that and say, what, what do you think is broken in the system? Well, <laughs> you have a justice system uh, that is, doesn't, doesn't treat minorities 
very well in that that aspect. You have a justice system at, at this point where uh, we're letting people out of jail four hours later, and they're going right back to uh, committing crimes uh, and and taking catalytic uh, converters and breaking into people's houses. Uh, the DA's office is not able to prosecute as many people as they can because they have a shortage of, of staff. The sheriff's office has a shortage of, of staff. We have 50 people. We're 50 people down in corrections and probably like 12, 10 to 12 down in law enforcement. And when you scale that, that's almost 70 for 70 people down if you scale it to the Portland police. So uh, the courts are broken as well because they can't get the people processed through the court system. So it is broken uh, and it's gonna take a while to figure out how to balance it out. And it can't just be put on the sheriff's office and opening jail beds per se. That's part of the solution, I believe. But as we go forward, uh, it's gonna take all criminal justice partners to deal with this situation. Nicole, your thoughts on that. Is the, is the criminal justice system broken and, and where do you see the, the, the problems lying? Yeah, so we're seeing uh, challenges across the entire system. Some of those have already been mentioned with uh, uh, the district attorney's office and, and recruiting and hiring there. Uh, there was just recently the article about uh, lack of defense attorneys being able to um, uh, uh, carry through those cases for uh, the, the people in custody. So I think we're seeing uh, not only from the DA's office and the defense attorneys, we're seeing also, I think, some challenges with getting the necessary supports, obviously with second in need and last in services, uh, mental health and addiction, and being able to access those services on a larger scale so we can cover more areas of our community. Uh, and then, you know, looking again, I think there's uh, there are challenges with recruiting and hiring in public safety, and that's a nationwide challenge. And we're putting uh, forward some efforts to uh, navigate that and improve that process. But even trying to be more innovative where the services that are accessible, if we have someone, and I led a program, a pilot program prior to COVID, uh, a social services navigator program, if we are able to connect people to services, those, it was um, uh, directly related to those that are in and out of custody within four hours, uh, quick screens would be done by counselors and medical, and then a peer mentor would uh, meet with the person and they would e possibly accept services. And so they had the transportation there as well. So looking at any innovative ways that we can make a positive impact, given that there are challenges across the entire um, uh, public safety system and justice system. Okay, thank you. Um, Derek, if I'm keeping track, this next question starts with you. Uh, the 2021 Multnomah County Corrections Grand Jury Report found that staffing shortages at the county jail or the county run jails were creating a sometimes catastrophic situation. The report noted the lack of adequate staffing has led to a vicious cycle of correction staff burnout, which has negatively impacted retention and recruitment. Post-COVID, as jails return to pre-COVID levels of capacity, how will you address the situation as sheriff? Yes, uh, I uh, know that we are doing a lot to uh, circumnavigate or bring more people into uh, hiring for corrections. There, there needs to be much more done. Um, we need to be able to look at infinity groups that are in the county that 
have connections to people in our community that may want to uh, be a part and come on, on board with us as a sheriff's office, as law enforcement. We need to connect with our, our youth as they are our future. And we have to find better ways to connect with them in a, in a, in a positive way that they may at some point want to be police officers at the point, this point they don't. And if that's the case going down the line, we're in trouble. Uh, we need to get out on, uh, to, to black colleges because we, we, I want to diversify. So black colleges or people, uh, organizations that um, run academies, uh, other colleges that are dealing or have degrees in psychology, sociology, and mental health, that'd be fantastic. Uh, I want to take a page off of the uh, college folks, the uh, the recruiters who do sports. They do a fantastic job of going out, doing some hand-holding, going out to recruits and letting them know that they are uh, they can be part of a system, a part of an organization to make a, a major change in, in uh, society. And so we need to encourage people and go out and make sure that we're making the, the, the time for those who we think that are going to be fantastic for our uh, our profession. Nicole, uh, would you like me to repeat that? I think I have this one, but I, I okay. greatly appreciate it. Thank you. So uh, as we've talked about previously, this is a challenge across the nation, and we are uh, focusing on recruiting, hiring, re and retention and making some modifications to that to try to meet today's demands because they are different than they were uh, a few years, even just a few years ago. Uh, and that looks like going not in just Oregon and attending colleges and universities events, but going beyond that and really showing that Multnomah County Sheriff's Office is the place to work. I just heard from two of our deputy sheriffs that lateral from, so they were police officers in other organizations. And they actually said to other members of our organization that Multnomah County Sheriff's Office is the, the policing of the future and people should come work for us. So those are our best recruiters, but we also need to foster recruitment efforts uh, in all of our communities and making sure that um, that we're, our hiring processes are meeting our demands, but they're also reflective of our population. So uh, again, going to events in, in uniform and, and out of uniform, uh, youth type events, where you're really making that more human connection with our community and encouraging them that this might be something that they, our, our youth would wanna do in the future. Um, and, you know, I, I was similar to that where I didn't see uh, women leaders in law enforcement when I was going through school. So again, as a music major, looking at law enforcement, and that was really challenging for me. I, I didn't know that's where I would end up. But again, retention, uh, mentorship programs, peer support, and wellness. And I've led efforts to improve those processes just recently over the last uh, 30 days. Let me just follow up on that. Um, past uh, uh, grand jury reports found that, at, at least uh, on the, the correction side, that one of the big uh, hurdles to recruiting and retaining uh, new uh, diverse staff were the union rules related to um, bidding shifts and that, you know, a, a new uh, hire could wait a year or more before they were eligible for a shift that they would get weekends or holidays off. And it caused a lot of them to decide that, you know, it just, it was too tough a, uh, uh, a schedule for them to, uh, to be willing to stick with it. So uh, Nicole, back to you, do you see need for changes in the collective bargaining agreement that would 
make the uh, corrections side more attractive to uh, new recruits? Yeah, I think, you know, there are some challenges with when you start out in any type of public safety profession, it's a 24 uh, seven job. And, you know, looking at alternative work schedules, but corrections division also has the opportunity to work for each other. So they're able to uh, get additional days off that they could spend with family and, and make sure they're still connected if they're on some of those off shifts. Uh, you know, we'll work with our uh, union uh, leadership to determine if there's any other challenge or any other challenges that we can address together as a collaborative. Uh, and I, you know, I understand that when people are starting out with new families and a new career, it's really challenging to be working on some of these off shifts. So offering some of those other opportunities to uh, trade shifts with people so you can make sure that you connect with your family at family events. We've also, uh, in some of the specialty units, uh, we've uh, modified the, the hours there and been able to look at alternative work schedules that might be more uh, conducive to uh, family life and uh, people coming into this profession. So I think there is work that we can do that's collaborative with our unions uh, that we can start um, engaging them and and having more of like stay interviews, like what what's working well for us and what do you think we need to really improve on before someone's leaving? Uh, and then we're asking, why are you leaving? So I think there's a lot of areas that we can collaborate further. And you know, even engaging in our community, being really upfront about what this work is, but the changes that we're trying to make. So I, I think there's some work to do there, but I think we can do it. Derek, your thoughts on, on the limitations of the collective bargaining agreement and, and whether that could be changed to help uh, recruitment and retention? Yes, I, I, I think there are limitations. And unfortunately, it's, it's people say this is the line of business that that happens. It's a 24 hour operation. And there's people that will will undoubtedly be put in these kind of situations where they uh, don't have weekends for for quite a while. Um, so I think everything should be on the table to talk about alternatives, alternative schedules to accommodate. We have a different type of uh, person entering into our profession that uh, we need to pay attention to as as we mentor them along uh, this process. Again, morale is another issue that, that ends up happening within the context of this. Um, people don't want to work in those kind of situations, but what are we doing to address things ahead of this? Uh, incentives, making sure that we're looking at uh, ways to give people opportunities to uh, experience a different level of, of success within the agency. Those opportunities are fantastic. Uh, health services for our folks, robust uh, coaches that can help them through some of those processes to keep them healthy mentally and physically. And I think it's also important that we uh, look at ways to get them on while they're on shift to be able to take a break here and there. So when they are excited about the place they're working for, the mental acuity level and what how they feel about the agency goes off the charts. And I think those are some issues, things that we can do to make us a, a better place to work. Okay, thank you. Uh, Nicole, this next question is for you first. Um, some county sheriffs nationally and in Oregon are experimenting with medically assisted treatment for detainees with drug addiction issues. Uh, and for our listeners, medically assisted treatment is the use of FDA approved medications such as methadone and other more modern versions of methadone uh, 
in combination with counseling and behavioral therapies to provide a whole patient approach to the treatment of substance abuse disorders. What are your thoughts about bringing this approach to Multnomah County? Yes, absolutely. I believe our Corrections Health Department is uh, utilizing medically supported uh, treatment options for people that are coming into our corrections facilities. But I do think, again, anything that we can um, do in partnership or collaboration with our uh, county health and mental health providers in our facilities that can help people access treatment, whether that's in a treatment readiness dorm type situation where people are getting the skills that they need to be more successful uh, when they're released into uh, a treatment provider situation. I think, um, you know, as we're exploring options there, I know that our, um, our uh, average length of stay has increased a bit as well. And I think those are opportunities where we can engage with the public health providers that we have access to in our systems to look at any options, any and all options. Again, as we're looking at second in need and nearly last in services, we're able to access those services through our corrections facilities and working very closely with our corrections health director and uh, looking nationwide and what's working in other areas. And so we are doing some of that work. We're also looking at where we can um, add additional resource to specific dorms for uh, as a mental health dorm. Um, so the services are more coordinated as a person-centered approach in, in specific areas of the facility. So they get that attention. So, you know, working really collaboratively with our public health partners is critical as we continue to uh, put these um, options in, I, sorry, I see the time, <laughs> strategies in place. <laughs> Thank you, Nicole. Derek, uh, would you like me to repeat that? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, some county sheriffs nationally and in Oregon are experimenting with medically assisted treatment for detainees with drug addiction issues. Medically assisted treatment is the use of FDA approved medications such as methadone in combination with counseling and behavioral therapies to provide a whole patient approach to the treatment of substance use disorders what are your thoughts about being, uh, bringing this approach to Multnomah County? Yes, it's, uh, I think it's vitally important that we look for new ways to address the, the issues around uh, drug abuse, drug addiction, and that is one of them. Uh, to make sure that we're looking at working in concert, as especially with our, in our corrections, uh, that we're working in concert with our county health department who has taken a lead uh, in this in this area to provide services. I need to be able to bring in uh, AA and NA uh, folks, uh, counselors, people who are ex-addicts that understand and understand and know what it takes and to get sober, to get uh, off the drugs. And just to be an example, uh, expanding services within the jail is extremely uh, important, but also looking for outside services. So when they do uh, have these particular services in in the jail that they're just not cut loose without uh, a, a safety net, so to speak, to be able to go out and uh, access uh, programs out there that are vital for them to become more self-sufficient and hopefully stay off of, of the drugs and the different situations they find themselves in, the triggering events that get them back into a, a cycle of of a recidivism type of situation where they're using drugs 
to buffer their their issues. So it's extraordinarily important for me to to bring those programs, more robust programs, and ask for fin finance uh, from our county and city uh, partners for that. You're on mute. Ah, sorry about that. Uh, uh, Derek, uh, you're on deck for this uh, question first. Uh, the Oregon legislature has recently moved to reduce the number of minor traffic violations that law enforcement officers can use as a reason for stopping motorists or asking for identification. These changes are motivated by a desire to reduce the inequality in law enforcement interactions with diverse communities. At the same time, such stops do regularly identify individuals who are wanted for outstanding crimes, sometimes very serious crimes, parole violations, and failure to appear in court. What impact do you see these changes having on those sheriff's patrol work? And you're on mute. Sorry about that. It is a major impact. And just a quick story, I, I was working on a rental property and. I heard uh, two young gentlemen that happened to be uh, black that were going, hey, um, I don't have to uh, re-up re my license uh, uh, at this point in time and on their plates, right? So they were like, I'll stay out of Multnomah County and the Portland area, but uh, I, I will not stay out of that, that area, but I'll stay out of the Beaverton area because I know in Portland, I, I don't have, I won't get stopped. So uh, that's a major issue. And I think we need to uh, balance the situation uh, with uh, enforcement, being able to stop on, on some, some occasions. I understand some of those occasions could uh, be in a, in a place where we don't do it, but why not come up with other alternatives? Like if there's a taillight out, uh, do we have services out there where we can lead them and direct them to to get their lights lights fixed so they don't get stopped again. Uh, those kind of programs, I think, are are very important as we go forward. And we we can dream up just about anything we can that's a community based option to help people who are having issues with licenses or uh, car issues that are vital for them to get around. Uh, so that they're not being stopped on a daily basis. And so I think we need to balance that out and, and I'm hopeful we can do that. Thank you, Derek. Uh, Nicole, would you like me to repeat that? Uh, yes, please. Okay. Uh, the Oregon legislature has recently moved to reduce the number of minor traffic violations that law enforcement officers can use as a reason for stopping motorists or asking for identification. These changes are motivated by a desire to reduce the inequality in law enforcement interactions with diverse populations. At the same time, such stops do regularly identify individuals who are wanted for outstanding crimes, sometimes very serious crimes, parole violations, and failure to appear in court. What impact do you see these changes having on the sheriff's patrol work? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, first, I just want to talk about that, um, you know, being out there and being proactive uh, police officers doesn't include profiling people in our community. Uh, we are, we have accountability through the statistical transparency of policing through our stop data program. So when we uh, 
any traffic or pedestrian stop, we're uh, required to uh, fill out documentation that goes to the state and then is um, evaluated to uh, look for those disparities. And we're working with our planning and research unit right now to also make sure that we are notified of that ahead of time. So we're not waiting if we start seeing a challenge. So um, we want to do everything that we can to keep our community safe without disproportionately stopping our black and brown drivers. So when you look at um, building community trust, part of that is that when I was talking to one of the legislatures, uh, she had talked about her concerns about um, being pulled over by police. And that, um, for, you know, that made me sad too, because I want to be able to build positive relationships with our community, where we're also addressing when there's a safety issue. We see uh, traffic fatalities that are um, increasing. And even if it's a safety issue, we want to help people rectify that so they're safe on our roads as well. So, you know, and I think there's other options where we can offer um, an opportunity for someone to uh, go get those situations fixed without having uh, a ticket or having to appear in court. So I think there's more that we can do, but I, I um, and I do think it presents some challenges, but again, I think we need to um, keep our communities safe without disproportionately impacting uh, uh, our black and brown neighbors. Okay, thank you both. Uh, that concludes the, the section of the uh, debate where uh, the prepared questions uh, are coming for you. Uh, and this begins the lightning round. So in this uh, round, I'll ask a series of short questions and please respond with as close to one word as you can. <laughs> okay, uh, first question, uh, Nicole, for you first. Are stricter gun laws part of the solution to the gun violence we're seeing in the community? Yes. I Derek? think there is that, am I supposed to give a sentence or just a yes? You can give a yes, no, or a couple of words. <laughs> yes, then. Okay. Derek, your thoughts on that? Yes. Okay. Uh, number two, safe consumption centers are places where drug users can obtain clean needles, have drugs tested for contamination from fentanyl, and receive medical intervention. Good idea or bad? Derek? Complicated. Complicated. Okay. Nicole? Nicole? Yes, is a form of harm reduction. Okay, great. Uh, three, qualified immunity provides a higher legal bar for law enforcement officials to be used, uh, to be sued, I'm sorry, for misconduct. Change it, keep it as it is, or eliminate it. Nicole? Can you repeat that one more time? Yeah, Qual qualified immunity provides a higher legal bar for law enforcement officials to be sued for misconduct. Change it, keep it as is, or eliminate it? Uh, keep it as is. Derek? Absolutely, keep it as is. Okay. Four, body-worn cameras. Good idea, bad idea, Derek? Fantastic idea. Nicole? Great idea. Okay. Five, eliminate cash bail. Good idea, bad idea, Nicole? I think it can be modified. I don't think it can be eliminated. Derek? 
Um, modification, definitely, I agree with Nicole. I think there's a, yeah. Okay. All right. And some little bit lighter questions. Uh, Derek, timbers, thorns, blazers, or winter hawks? Blazers. All right. Nicole? Blazers. All right. Uh, Nicole, favorite restaurant? Today, uh, we've been spending a lot of time at Shea Jose. Ah. Okay. Howie, Schech Howie Schechter's place. Derek? Uh, if you know, the restaurant is not coming to mind, but it's a fantastic little Mexican restaurant out here that serves the best margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, and then the final uh, lightning round question uh, for Derek first, power of the dog or coda? Power of the dog. Okay. Nicole? Coda. <laughs> All right. There you have it. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, now we come to the portion of the program where uh, uh, the candidates will ask questions of each other. Uh, they were asked to prepare a question uh, for their uh, fellow candidate uh, in advance of the meeting. Uh, you will have uh, 60 seconds to respond to the question. So Nicole, uh, first your question for Derek. There we go. Now I'm on. As part of this interview, as well as uh, during the Oregonian and on KTU, you talked about part of your plan uh, to address homelessness would be to put uh, people experiencing homelessness in one of our jails with people who are currently in custody. So can you tell us how that might work? Yes, yeah, so uh, it's it's important as I have already developed these relationships with uh, community leaders and organizations, and uh, also those who are providing the services to, to, to interlink that, uh, that we invest in that holistic approach in, in bringing community into this situation. I think, uh, again, the jail beds are an important part of the system. And if we are not going to use them, why not have an opportunity to use them in a different in a different way? To be courageous about having that conversation about using uh, beds that, like I said, readily, readily available and and can help the situation that are that we're having today. So that's what I would do. Okay, uh, Derek, uh, your question for Nicole. Yes, what do you see as the biggest culture issue facing the sheriff's office and how would you go about making the needed changes? Absolutely, so I see that one of the biggest culture issues is that our um, uh, workforce does not is not reflective of the communities that we serve. And I also see that we are not supporting and investing in our members uh, to ensure that they uh, enjoy the career with the sheriff's office uh, for the length of time that we used to see people that would stay in our organization. So the areas that I'm currently investing in right now is with our peer support program to retain people, to ensure they have the supports necessary to uh, be able to be supported in each unique way of all of our members, not just one system. And then I'm looking uh, at, and we just started the pilot on the mentorship guidance initiative. And so I think those uh, couple programs that really look at the unique needs of our workforce and they're able to help them access the resources they need. And 
And then looking at our recruiting strategies and ensuring that we are doing more to diversify our workforce, because again, different perspectives uh, and different uh, uniqueness of people really will bring all different uh, different types of work into the sheriff's office. And I think that's critical um, to serving our community. Okay, thank you very much for those questions. Uh, now uh, we're gonna to turn to uh, questions that were generated by our audience. As noted earlier, City Club solicited questions in advance of this broadcast. And I've selected a number of questions from those submitted. And again, you'll have uh, 60 seconds to respond to these questions. So Nicole, this uh, first question comes to you first. Molly asks, how will you lead the Sheriff's Division to work in collaboration with other metro area agencies in bringing justice to victims of violent crimes, for example, sexual assault, gun violence, or human trafficking, and ensure perpetrators are prosecuted in the current political and social climate? So I work uh, directly and collaboratively with um, our Office of Violence Prevention, doing street outreach and ensuring that we're accessing those services for our community because we want to hear the voice uh, of our victims and survivors. We have to hear their voice on how what accountability looks uh, to them. So we're supporting them. Also looking at uh, and we're currently partnering with Healing Hurt People as a hospital intervention. Uh, and those are the majority of where we work with uh, those two groups is in our gun violence reduction efforts. But I'm also um, building a relationship with our DA so I can start learning more about the advocates uh, at our DA's office and how they support our victims and survivors through that entire process. So continuing to build collaborative relationships with our currently existing uh, community partners and partners from different areas of public safety, and then also engaging with our community because I really wanna hear what accountability looks like to our community as well. Uh, Derek, would you like me to repeat that? Yes, please. Okay, Molly asks, how will you lead the Sheriff's Division to work in collaboration with other metro area agencies in bringing justice to victims of violent crimes, for example, sexual assault, gun violence, or human trafficking, and ensure perpetrators are prosecuted in the current political and social climate? Yes, um, I, I think it's important that we reach out again to our community partners uh, business leaders, civil rights leaders, faith-based leaders, educators, uh, government, uh, government officials as a, a, a way to really tackle this uh, as a, in a holistic approach with the sheriff's office, with Portland police and our region partners, uh, law enforcement partners, as there's a sharing of information that needs to happen across the board, not only within our uh, communities, uh, local law enforcement, but across this nation, because we know s sex trafficking, uh, it, it uh, hurts all our communities. So it's important that we engage uh, some of the organizations out there that are dealing with this head on, uh, not, just, not just being, uh, we need to be proactive about it and attacking the situation and making sure that we're serious about it as there's victims out there that are being targeted every day. Okay, thank you. Uh, and Derek, this uh, will be your question first. Brian asks, it is very unusual for grand juries to issue criminal charges against law enforcement officials 
even when there is overwhelming evidence supporting misconduct. Would you support some other approach to address, addressing situations where sheriff's deputies have shot and killed people of color or when a person of color died while being restrained or handcuffed? Well, I'm, I'm supporting uh, the reforms that are happening right now to address those issues. And if we have other reforms that uh, our legislator and people that uh, are coming on board to look at that, I've been a part, like I said, the, of committees that are uh, addressing police reform. And I believe that what we are doing right now to make sure that our black and brown people, our BIPOC people are, are being treated uh, fairly is, is extremely important. We need to continue to do that work and uh, pull apart policies and, and uh, directives that are, are infiltrating or, or bringing us down in a matter of uh, speaking, the, uh, the BIPOC community uh, that they face these major issues that shouldn't be. So I'm a, a proponent of making sure we're bolstering our policies and procedures and how we're interacting in the community. Nicole, your thoughts on that? Yes, I think we uh, we always need to do more and we can uh, increase our systems of accountability. One of the areas that the sheriff's office has done this is in our um, uh, complaint intake. Uh, if we're looking at trying to address behavior earlier on before it becomes a larger issue in your organization and bringing in someone that has labor attorney experience, not a sworn member, uh, making sure that we are providing uh, adequate training, uh, enhanced training, uh, um, looking at areas where um, we can improve, uh, like we talked about before, systems of accountability with body cams, um, with uh, uh, policies that we're continually evaluating and updating, and that also have community input, that we're um, asking community to provide input on our policies. Uh, we um, currently have uh, systems in place with audits um, in our corrections facilities, um, with our grand jury tours and with our um, Oregon State Sheriff's Association. But I always believe that we can do more with accountability and we need to look at those options. Let me just um, hone in on that question just a little bit. Um, I think both of you said that you would keep qualified immunity as is. Um, and it doesn't sound like either of you are uh, supportive of making changes in the grand jury process for these kinds of situations where uh, a, a law enforcement uh, officer or sheriff's deputy is accused of misconduct. How do you, what, what do you say to those folks in the community who feel strongly that, um, that law enforcement uh, officers have not been held accountable uh, for misconduct. Uh, what can you say to them that will reassure them that the history of uh, mistreatment that we've seen across the country uh, will not continue? Uh, Nicole, I'll start with you. I think we first and foremost need to do a better job of engaging with our community and hearing all from all of our communities and their experiences. Part of that work, uh, we have done a, a 12 week learning experience with community members to have our deputies um, really hear 
how our community feels and what types of public safety services they want in their community. But I also, you know, want to make sure that um, that our uh, police officers they're held held accountable to the criminal law as well. And so I want to make sure that um, we're able to engage with our community and look at. Um, increased systems of accountability. Again, I think body cams, cameras will be uh, one of those steps. So there's transparency, you know, it, it, almost immediately after a situation. Um, so, you know, I think it's a really, it's a very challenging situation, but again, I think involving our community and ensuring that we are engaging and really uh, stop talking and listening to how our community feels about their policing services is absolutely critical. Eric, your thoughts? Yeah, um, I just think that we need to continue to look at ways to improve. Um, we, especially in Multnomah County, we have some of the best uh, professionals in the business and our systems of, uh, of accountability, our policies are, are very direct and strict. And um, I don't want anybody out there that doesn't deserve to be in a uniform, period. And as sheriff, I will make sure that if someone has violated community trust, uh, violated the uh, the trust of the agency, that they're no longer working here and uh, in, in our agency. Uh, nationally, we need to continue to push our other police brothers and sisters out there, organizations, to continue to, to be more professional, hold their folks accountable. There's enough um, policies and books uh, on the books, uh, laws on the books to hold our folks accountable and we need to continue to do that. And I, I'm a proponent for making sure that our folks that shouldn't be in a uniform not work in uh, law enforcement. Thank you, Derek. Uh, that's a great segue to the next question. Uh, Nicole, this uh, will be yours to field first. Uh, Jake asks, Recent reporting has identified a significant number of law enforcement officers in Oregon who are members of far-right anti-government organizations like Oath Keepers, including among Multnomah County Sheriff's deputies. Do you see this as a concern? And if so, how do you plan to address this issue? This has come up under my leadership with uh, a reserve. And so, you know, when we're looking at ensuring that we are um, uh, building community trust and, and maintaining community trust, we cannot have members of our organization that are, um, uh, that, that don't treat people well, that are disparaging, that treat different community members uh, our black and brown community treating people differently. We cannot have that. And when we did have a situation like that, that person no longer works uh, for the organization. So uh, again, systems of accountability are critical and also training our members to uh, empower them to tell people when there's something that is not right in our organization or if somebody is violating a policy or if somebody is uh, not doing the right thing. And so we also need to ensure that everyone around these particular law enforcement members is also paying attention and empowered to say something. Derek, your thoughts on that question? Now, there needs to be a, a clear, bright red line in the sand on this. Uh, we can't uh, afford to come off this kind of situation where we're not holding our, our folks accountable. There's expectations 
uh, the community has as well as the organization and we need to continue to let our folks know uh, that that kind of activity those kind of thoughts and processes of of uh, hate and or not understanding people of color is not going to be tolerated and um, I just got had a chance to address a situation uh, down at the academy and we need to be m making sure that people have the ability to report those situations and issues uh, so that they're not being subject to the those those kind of uh, racist type of situations. And so I'm just a proponent to make sure that we look for ways to empower folks to so, so to identify and uh, keep this as a, a, a place of, especially at the sheriff's office, any other organization, a place where everybody is welcome. Okay, thank you both. Uh, that concludes the uh, questions that we've received from City Club members. Um, thank you for your responses and thanks to the City Club members who submitted uh, questions. It's now time for closing statements. Uh, Nicole uh, gave the uh, opening statement and uh, will now uh, have the opportunity to give her closing statement. You have 90 seconds. Nicole? your closing statement. All right, so first, uh, I wanna thank everybody for having us here today. Uh, a lot of the topics that we talked about are, uh, they're a critical um, uh, point in our community and people don't feel safe. We have rising crime, rising gun violence, and uh, I'm running to change that. I've been dedicated to serving our community for over 25 years, and I have experience in leading efforts, uh, reducing gun violence, addressing rising property crime, keeping our streets and transportation systems safe, and providing a path for adults in custody to be more successful when they reenter our community. Uh, the community partnerships that I've developed allow me to address these through a very collaborative approach. And some of the responses that I've received from some of my supporters are really that I have a heart for service and that I'm a bridge builder and that I'm a, a, a community partner and a compassionate listener. Um, I've earned the support of uh, some of our local and state elected leaders, community members and leaders and public safety professionals um, and the sheriffs of neighboring counties. And this signifies the relationships that I've been able to build throughout our community and our public safety partners uh, to address the most challenging issues that we are facing in our communities. Uh, we need changes and that's what I'm bringing. I will be the first female to lead this organization in the history of 167 or eight years. I have a vision on how to do this work differently and better. And I have the experience training and relationships to step in and lead the organization on day one. So thank you again. Uh, and I appreciate everyone's time today. Thank you, Nicole. Uh, Derek, your closing statement, 90 seconds. Thanks for your time. Um, I just want to go on record to make sure that uh, people know that I am qualified to run for sheriff. And uh, it, uh, it was interesting. I was just down at the academy when uh, Chief Outlaw was also down trying to get her credentials for the chief of police. Uh, so it is a non-issue. And so I just want to state for the record that day one, I will be prepared to be sheriff of Multnomah County. You know, I hear the community and what they're asking for. They wanna be listened to, they wanna be heard. And I'm committed to making sure that myself along with the people I've been working alongside 
will listen, uh, not just listen, but actively listen to the community, to bring the services they're asking for, uh, to come on, alongside us as a community of both police and, and, and the, the folks that work in our community. My experience is bar none. I, I continue to work in, in the community in such a way that uh, is, is life-giving. Um, I just want to let you know that I, I'm prepared to be the next sheriff and uh, the life experiences I bring to this, especially as a person of color, uh, bring a different direction to the sheriff's office that has never been there before. And so I am excited to come alongside our public and the people in Multnomah County to be your next sheriff, the sheriff of the people. Thank you very much. Uh, this concludes our candidate debate. Uh, thank you, Nicole Morrissey O'Donnell and Derek Peterson uh, for being with us and for answering our questions. Uh, you both acquitted yourselves very well. Uh, whoever is the next sheriff, uh, will, the seat will be, the office will be in good hands. Uh, I think I would like to acknowledge that it's not easy being in the public eye in our current political environment, and we honor your commitment in taking on this important task of running for public office. I'd also like to take a moment to thank Sheriff Mike Reese uh, for his tremendous work as both County Sheriff and Chief of Police for the City of Portland. Uh, thank you, Mike, uh, if you're listening, for your many, many years of distinguished service to our community. Uh, I'd like to also thank CM Hall, who's been our interpreter, uh, sign language interpreter today, and uh, has done a tremendous job without a break. Thank you, CM. Uh, and thank you again to our City Club sponsors, Chevron, The Standard, Northwest Natural, Tonkin Torp, the Oregon Business and Industry Association, and the Oregon Association of Hospitals and Health Systems. Thank you to the City Club for giving me this opportunity to be your moderator today. It's been an honor. And to all of those who've uh, tuned in and are viewing and listening, thank you for your participation. Uh, a final thought. Uh, the great American philosopher, George Carlin, said, if you don't vote, you lose the right to complain. So please vote. Our democracy depends on your participation. Thank you and good day.